Our New Testament scripture reading this Lord's Day is from Acts chapter 24. And after five days, Ananias, the high priest, descended with the elders with a certain orator named Tertullus who informed the governor against Paul. And when he was called forth, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Seeing that by thee we enjoy great quietness, and that very worthy deeds are done unto this nation by thy providence, we accept it always, and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness, notwithstanding that I be not further tedious unto thee, I pray thee that thou wouldest hear us of thy clemency a few words. For we have found this man a pestilent fellow, and a mover of sedition among all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes, who also hath gone about to profane the temple, whom we took and would have judged according to our law. But the chief captain Lysias came upon us, and with great violence took him away out of our hands commanding his accusers to come unto thee, by examining of whom thyself mayest take knowledge of all these things whereof we accuse him. And the Jews also assented, saying that these things were so. Then Paul, after that, the governor had beckoned unto him to speak, answered, Forasmuch as I know that thou hast been of many years a judge unto this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself because that thou mayest understand that there are yet but twelve days since I went up to Jerusalem for to worship. They neither found me in the temple disputing with any man, neither raising up the people, neither in the synagogues nor in the city, neither can they prove the things whereof they now accuse me. But this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, So worship I, the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets, and have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and unjust. And herein do I exercise myself, to have always a conscience, void of offense toward God and toward man, Now after many years I came to bring alms to my nation and offerings, whereupon certain Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with multitude nor with tumult, who ought to have been here before thee and object if they had aught against me, or else let these same here say if they have found any evil doing in me while I stood before the council except it be for this one voice that I cried standing among them, touching the resurrection of the dead, I am called in question by you this day. And when Felix heard these things, having more perfect knowledge of that way, he deferred them and said, When Lysias the chief captain shall come down, I will know the uttermost of your matter. And he commanded a centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and that he should forbid none of his acquaintance to minister or come unto him. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Priscilla, 
which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. He hoped also that money should have been given him of Paul, that he might lose him. Wherefore, he sent for him the oftener and communed with him. But after two years, Porcius Festus came into Felix's room, and Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. May the Lord bless the reading of his word and the preaching of his word this Lord's day. Our text this Lord's day is from Proverbs chapter 25, verses 6 and 7. Put not forth thyself in the presence of the king, and stand not in the place of great men. For better it is that it be said unto thee, Come up hither, than that thou shouldest be put lower in the presence of the prince, whom thine eyes have seen. There's a paradox in life, and in the Christian life in particular, that goes like this. The more we promote our own honor and advancement before others, the more we are likely to be dishonored and humiliated before others. For it is not those who trumpet forth their own giftedness or greatness that endear the trust and the confidence of others, but rather those who humbly go about doing their job efficiently without drawing undue attention to themselves by self-advertisement. I don't know if you have noticed how most people do not like to listen to someone rattle on about how well they have done this or that. It's a sure way to turn people off. Such a one is more likely to be demoted in the sight of others rather than promoted in the sight of others. For if we are given to our own selfish ambition and shine the spotlight upon ourselves and upon our own accomplishments before others, it generally indicates that we are more interested in serving ourselves than we are in serving others. This being the case, we usually will not work well with others and will not really care for others except only insofar as others may promote our particular agenda. Dear ones, if we would have the confidence of fellow employees, fellow family members, and fellow Christians, so that we are honored before others for our faithfulness, we must not seek our own glory. We must not seek our own honor, but must rather seek the glory and honor of Jesus Christ above all things, and the good of our neighbor. With John the Baptist, we must make this the theme of our lives. He, that is Christ, must increase, but I must decrease. John 3.30 Who do people see when they look at our lives? Do they merely hear and see us? 
or do they hear and see Jesus Christ? Dear ones, a wonderful evidence of the work of God's saving grace in your life and in mine is that although we may daily fall into selfish ambition in various ways, nevertheless, it is our earnest desire and our fervent prayer that others see and hear more and more of Jesus Christ through our lives and less and less of ourselves. From our text in Proverbs 25, verses 6 through 7, let us consider and learn well the following two truths. First of all, do not promote yourself before others. Proverbs 25, 6. And second, let others promote you. Proverbs 25, 7. First of all, do not promote yourself before others. Look with me more closely at Proverbs chapter 25, verse 6. Put not forth thyself in the presence of the king, and stand not in the place of great men. Let us first be clear as to the meaning of Proverbs 25, 6. The form of command used by the inspired author Solomon denotes an urgency to immediately stop doing something that is presently being done. They are, according to verse 6, putting themselves, these that Solomon addresses and tells and commands to stop, what they are doing is putting themselves forth in the presence of the king and standing in the place that is occupied by great men. That is, those in question are literally, when it says, do not put thyself in the presence, put forth thyself in the presence of the king, this is literally, don't honor yourself. Don't adorn yourself. Don't swell with pride in the presence of the king. Furthermore, these whom Solomon addresses, they not only boast about their own abilities before the king, but also presume to compare themselves to truly great men. In other words, they talk and act as if they had gifts and graces equal to honored men, proven giants in the field. They so desire to promote their own advancement that they cannot see their own littleness and the greatness of those to whom they compare themselves. Let me give some examples of how we may fall into this sin. We may voluntarily, and I underscore the word voluntarily here because I'm going to make some qualifications later on. So, Focus on voluntarily. We may voluntarily offer to our kings, or in our case, to our leaders, whether our boss, our parents, our elders, how well we did a job hoping to impress them and to receive a pat on the back or a promotion in order to promote our own cause, our own selfish ambition. We voluntarily say, look at the good job that I did. In so doing, we are usually looking 
as I said, to be promoted in their eyes or even promoted to a higher rank with a better title or more prestige. Another way we may fall into this sin, we who are in some place of leadership may also voluntarily promote our own gifts and graces before others so as to exalt ourselves in their eyes, hoping to earn more and more of their respect, the respect of those whom we lead. We may use our degrees or our learning or our experience to honor ourselves when talking to others. How subtle, dear ones, this can be in our lives. We may even seek to disguise how we adorn ourselves with honor by adding the qualification that all these things have been accomplished by the grace of God. But we, again, rattle on, voluntarily promoting ourselves. It is certainly by God's grace that we can do anything, but dear ones, let us not abuse God's grace in seeking to cloak our own selfish ambition. Let us be sure that when we say, by God's grace, we're not simply using that as a disguise. A selfish ambition. Another way we may fall into the sin. We may at times feel very intimidated by certain people, just to be in their presence. Because they have very noticeable gifts or graces and so in their presence we compare ourselves with others or put others down so as to make ourselves look good and in so doing we have likewise honored ourselves before others by putting others down another way we may fall into the sin we may personally take credit for work that was really the work of a whole committee it may be that we actually invested more time in the project than all the other committee members put together. However, the finished product is still the work of the committee, of the whole committee, and not the work of one person. And when one person takes credit, as it were, for the work done, there is, again, an honoring oneself before others. Such a person is not a team player but very individualistic and seeking self-ambition. You know, growing up, there was a term that was used for a basketball player who had to dribble and shoot all of the time rather than looking to pass the ball off to someone who was in the open. We called him a glory hog. I don't know if that term is still around or not, but it's what we called such a player. He was one who did not want to share the glory, but hogged it all up for himself. And this is what we do, dear ones. When conversations must focus on us, focus on me and what I think and what I said and what I did. Have you ever evaluated and stopped to just consider how much of your conversation when talking to others is about yourself? It's a good exercise, simply to listen to yourself as it were. Play back the recording in your mind. How much did I actually talk about myself before that person? How much did I promote myself before that person voluntarily? How much did I rather speak to this person about his or her needs or talk about other types of things without 
coming across in such a way as if I were marketing myself for others. The only problem is that when we market ourselves, dear ones, before others in this way, the value of the product goes down dramatically. Well, before moving on, I'd like to say something about what honoring ourselves before others is not. We want to make this qualification, as I mentioned earlier in the sermon, what it is not. First of all, honoring ourselves before others is not submitting a resume for a job and giving information about your education, degrees, past jobs, and experience in the field when that is required of you, when it's expected that you would share honestly what you have accomplished in your life. That's not honoring yourself, unless you have the wrong attitude, of course. But that in and of itself is not honoring yourself. You're not honoring yourself by submitting an honest report. This is expected as long as it is an objective statement about certain facts rather than a subjective statement about your own personal thoughts as to your great accomplishments. A good resume does not have to be embellished by our own personal feelings. It speaks for itself. Just as our life is a visual resume and our life does not have to, to be embellished with our words for our life speaks for itself. Humility and modesty may also be evidenced, dear ones, in accurately evaluating one's own gifts and graces when called to do so. Not putting oneself down, but honestly evaluating in truthfulness and sincerity what one's gifts and graces are. Not in order to honor himself, nor voluntarily to trumpet one's own success and accomplishments before others, nor voluntarily to compare oneself with others in order to make oneself look good. But ultimately, that honest report is given with a view to honor ultimately our gracious God who has so mercifully gifted and graced us. Now, we may not on a resume include that, but at least that is our intent that is our motive that we do not fall back upon honoring ourselves, thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought, but that when we are called to do so, it is an opportunity, in effect, to give glory to God what He has accomplished through you. You see, the questions to be asked here are these. Why are you sharing your accomplishments with others? Is it because you have been asked to do so? Is it because it is necessary for a supervisor to know your qualifications in order to fill a position? Have you simply stated the facts in the description of your accomplishments or have you embellished it with editorial notes about your greatness? Dear ones, when we embellish and editorialize, we inevitably do ourselves no favors for a good report, as I said earlier, does not need to be interpreted through our eyes. It's clear to all who read it and hear it. 
the second thing that honoring ourselves is not. It is not a case of honoring yourself if you must assure someone that you have the experience to do what you are doing. If you go to a doctor to have a particular procedure done and he seeks to settle and calm you with the words to this effect, I have performed this procedure on a thousand patients with success. It may in fact not be for the purpose of building himself up, but for the purpose of establishing human trust and confidence in his ability to get the job done. Would you rather go to someone who said, I've never done this. This is the first time that I've ever done this procedure. You're going to feel a lot of confidence in that person? I suppose it's their first time for everything, but you don't have to tell them that. A third thing that honoring ourselves is not. It is not a case of honoring yourself if in your presence someone else commends you for a job well done and you accept the compliment. However, be very sure that what is said is the truth and not an embellishment of the truth and not flattery. Be willing to set the record straight publicly if that is necessary. Fourthly, it is not a case of honoring yourself if you have a title such as doctor or professor or reverend or pastor or elder and in particular situations use that title or place your degree in a conspicuous place within your office. Now if I brought my degrees here and posted them behind me that would be one thing. But to post my degrees in my office or for a doctor to post his degrees in his office is not honoring himself. You see, it's one thing to insist that everyone use that title or see that degree whenever speaking to you regardless of the situation, whether a professional situation or a familiar situation. It's something altogether different when in a professional capacity titles are used. We should not live and die by our titles, which we have received. For Paul can refer to himself either as an apostle, not a much higher title than that, an apostle of Jesus Christ in 1 Timothy 1.1, but he can also refer to himself as a servant of the whole church, as in 1 Corinthians 9.19. There's an appropriate place to use titles and to display degrees. In the professional sense, it can be very helpful at times. But in a more familiar sense, when men or wives have to call us Reverend Price or Dr. Price or whatever the title may be, then we've taken the professional into the area in the realm of the familiar and it's just not necessary to do so. That kind of rigidity would lend itself more to honoring ourselves before others than using titles and degrees in an appropriate sense. Titles can be used, dear ones, and degrees can be used either to the glory of God or to the glory of oneself. Solomon here and 
Proverbs 25, 6, commands those who are doing this, who are honoring themselves, which to varying degrees, I dare say, we're all guilty of. Solomon commands, do not do this any longer. You're only hurting yourself rather than helping yourself, even if what you say is 100% true. You're only hurting yourself by honoring yourself before others. For even the truth may be spoken from a selfish motive and to a wrong end to promote our own advancement in position or prestige. Satan, you'll recall, quoted the scripture in tempting Christ to cast himself from the pinnacle of the temple. He quoted from Psalm 91, verses 11 through 12. He said, For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. See, here Satan tempted Christ in casting himself down from the pinnacle of the temple before all the multitudes that were gathered there. He tempted Christ with selfish ambition. Just imagine, if I might paraphrase the the sense of what Satan was saying by this temptation. Just imagine the name you will make for yourself when you fall in the presence of all the multitudes and the angels catch you and carry you down to the earth. Just as it would have been a sin for even the Son of God to exalt himself apart from the will of the Father in that situation, how much more it is a sin for us to exalt ourselves and to honor ourselves as sinful human beings before others. Every time we fall into this sin of honoring ourselves in the presence of others, it's as if we threw mud on our own faces. We dishonor ourselves, not honor ourselves. And dear ones, there are enough people around there slinging mud at us that we don't need to be slinging the mud at ourselves. We don't need to be helping them at all dishonoring ourselves before others. Well, why should we not honor ourselves before kings and for that matter before anyone else? Why should we not do this? Let me give you several reasons. First of all, the Spirit of God calls others to honor us with their praise rather than our praise to come from our own lips. In Proverbs 27.2, Solomon says, Let another man praise thee, and not thine own mouth, a stranger, and not thine own lips. In Proverbs 31, 31, speaking of this wife that is especially honored by being spoken of in Proverbs 31, Verse 30 says, Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Verse 31 says, Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. Not let her own mouth praise her in the gates. Let her own works praise her in the gates. The gates would be where even the elders and the judges ruled. Her works even were exalted because of what she had done. A woman, a faithful wife and mother, 
She was so honored that it came to the ear of the authorities, the blessing that she was in the whole community. It was her own works that praised her, not her own mouth. The second reason why we should not honor ourselves. To honor ourselves out of selfish ambition and for our own advancement is the fruit of pride, which is one of the deadly sins that God says is an abomination to him. In Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 17. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. The very first sin mentioned, a proud look. And if a proud look is an abomination to God, how much more a proud word is an abomination to the Lord. The third reason why we should not honor ourselves before kings and others is this. To promote ourselves before others is to seek the approval of men rather than the approval of God. You remember what the Lord Jesus said, or what was said concerning by, by John, actually in the Gospel of John, John chapter 12, verses 42 through 43, at a time in which the Lord Jesus was, in fact, ministering to the people, this note is, is uh, made clear by John concerning some of the rulers in Israel. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. That is, excommunicated. They didn't want to speak highly of Christ. They didn't want to follow Christ outwardly. They wanted to be more like Nicodemus and come to him by night. Verse 43 says, Gives the reason why. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. These may have been genuine believers. They believed in the Lord. But they were overcome with the sin of honoring themselves before men. Not willing to suffer dishonor for the cause and the sake of Jesus Christ. Pride motivated them. You see, dear ones, this pride is robbing God of His honor and glory who has blessed us with every gift and grace that we possess. When we honor ourselves, we're robbing God. When we speak highly of ourselves before others, we are stealing glory and honor from God. It cannot be otherwise. John chapter 5. Verse 44, Jesus says to the Pharisees, How can ye believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? And the Apostle Paul makes it very, very clear where all that we have, whether of a physical, material nature or of a spiritual nature, where it all comes from. When he says in 1 Corinthians 4, verses 6 through 7, And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, 
that ye might learn in us not to think of men, that is, any other men, or even of yourselves, I might add, that ye might not that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hast not received it? Dear ones, in so doing, when we honor ourselves out of pride, we act blasphemously as though we ourselves were God deserving of this glory and honor. And dear ones, when we think we're only honoring ourselves before others, stop and think for a moment. The passage we're looking at says very clearly, put not forth thyself in the presence of the king. But we may say, I'm not putting myself forth in the presence of the king. I'm, I'm doing it before my peers. No, you're not. You're putting yourself forth in the presence of the king of kings. And I am doing the same thing. Because God sees all and hears all. And we are robbing him of his glory when we do so. And perhaps the, the greatest aggravation of this sin is when we self-righteously look at our own righteousness and our own merit and consider ourselves more holy than we are robbing Christ of his righteousness, pouring scorn upon the righteousness of Christ in whom we are clothed. When we glory in our own righteousness, in our own self-righteousness, as did the Pharisees, dear ones, we rob the Lord Jesus Christ of his work upon the cross. We're saying we did not need for Christ to die upon the cross. Whether we mean that we communicate that in our own self-righteousness. It is a blasphemous action and statement whenever it comes from our life or our mouth or from the intentions of our heart. Fourth way, or fourth reason why we should not honor ourselves before kings and others. Pride and self-exaltation, according to the word of God, bring shame not honor. Proverbs 11, verse 2. When pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. So what comes before shame? Pride in honoring oneself. Fifth reason why we should not honor ourselves. Pride and self-praise bring contention among brethren according to Proverbs 13.10. Only by pride cometh contention. But with the well-advised is wisdom. <clears throat> you see, when we praise ourselves and when we honor ourselves, it produces a destructive rivalry among brethren rather than unifying brethren. When we compare ourselves with other brethren, we're not building them up. We're setting them down. We're causing division within the body of Christ when we do so. 
And the Lord Jesus Christ takes very seriously what is done to his body. We are putting someone down for whom Jesus Christ died in order to exalt ourselves. It's a very serious sin for which we need to seek God's forgiveness. And finally, the last reason, and there are probably many others, but the last one I've mentioned here, the last reason why we should not honor ourselves, pride and self-glory, come before a fall. According to Proverbs 18, 12, Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, and before honor is humility. What precedes destruction? A haughty and a proud spirit. What precedes honor before others? Humility, abasing ourselves. not honoring ourselves. You see, when pride swells our heads, it is it also, if I might say, as our head becomes more swelled, our vision becomes more distorted. So that we cannot even see the snare that is set in front of us. Our eyes are turned inward, looking to ourselves rather than looking at the trap that has been set for us. If we would truly do ourselves good, as we ought to do, we ought to do ourselves good. If we would do ourselves good as we ought, then we must watch carefully our words that we do not build ourselves up before others. You see, as we've noted in the past, in the careless pouring forth of many words, we will inevitably be thrown into this particular sin of building ourselves up and casting others down by simply the multitude of words, how we need to be careful, that we just don't ramble on, that we have a reason for what we say, that we are careful, that we set a guard and a watch over our mouths and our lips. Consider very quickly some of the biblical examples of those who did honor themselves before men and what befell them. Think of Balaam. Prophet Balaam, false prophet Balaam. Balaam was incited to glory and fame, which he desired from King Balak. And in Jude chapter 11, it says concerning Balaam, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. You see, Balaam was looking for advancement, for reward, for honor, for himself. What befell him, he was slain at Baal Peor with the wicked Midianites. He didn't die with God's people. He died with the wicked, according to Numbers 31.8. Think of Haman, who honored himself. In Esther 5.11. You remember Haman was one of the officers of the court 
under King Ahasuerus. And there was one Jew that wouldn't bow to him, that wouldn't give him the honor that he craved and desired, and his name was Mordecai. And he thought he would take care of Mordecai eventually. He plotted, he planned how to honor himself and to have Mordecai hung, even to the point that he had gallows built upon which to hang Mordecai. But how God turned in his providence around the whole situation so that it was Mordecai who did not seek the honor, who was honored in God's providence and in God's time. And it was Haman who was hung upon those gallows that he had built for Mordecai. Thirdly, think of the disciples of Christ. In Luke 22, verse 24, immediately following the Lord's Supper, this was not, this was not in a uh, situation where there were a, a multitude and a crowd and they were just casually talking about all kinds of various subjects. This was immediately after the Lord's Supper in Luke 22 that we find these words recorded. Luke 22:24. And there was also a strife among them which of them should be accounted the greatest. And this wasn't the first time that the Lord had to deal with that particular question on the part of the disciples. They had disputed that question before. But here, of all times, a meal that signified the greatest degree of humiliation and service that could be made to mankind Christ was to offer his own life for them who were arguing amongst themselves who was the greatest. What irony. What befell them? Peter denied the Lord three times and all of the disciples fled in fear from the Lord in the Garden of Gethsemane because they sought to honor themselves. Pride cometh before a fall. One last example is that of Diotrephes in 3 John. <clears throat> Verses 9 through 11. Who was a minister in one of the churches. And we read concerning Diotrephes these words. Beginning with Verse 9. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Here was a minister who did not receive an apostle of Jesus Christ because he sought preeminence. He didn't want of the apostle John to show up because the apostle John was an apostle and he was only a pastor or a minister. Verse 10 says, Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words. 
and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. He's excommunicating brethren who would receive other brethren who would receive us as apostles. He's excommunicating them from the church. He's casting them out of the church. John says, Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. What an indictment against Diotrephes. He that doeth good is of God. He that doeth evil, as in this case, is not of God. Let us move to very quickly now to the second main point. Having considered God's word as it relates to not promoting ourselves before others, the second truth is, thus stated, let others rather promote you, according to Proverbs 25.7. Solomon says, for it is for better it is that it be said unto thee, Come up hither. Then that... If you are to be promoted before others, Solomon's saying, let others honor you rather than you honoring yourself. As we noted in Proverbs 27.2 earlier, let another man praise thee, and not thine own mouth, a stranger, and not thine own lips. This proverb is actually used by the Lord Jesus as he dined with one of the chief Pharisees in Luke chapter 14. Read that very quickly here. Luke 14. Verse 1 says, And it came to pass as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day that they watched him. Now skip down. To verse 7. And he put forth a parable to those which were bidden, that is, invited to come to the feast, to this meal. When he, re, when he marked how they chose out the chief rooms, that is, the chief places to sit around the table, saying unto them, When thou art bidden of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room, that is, in the highest place, lest a more honorable man than thou be bidden of him. And he that bade thee and him come and say to thee, Give this man place, and thou begin with shame to take the lowest room, that is, the lowest place. But when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room, that when he that bade thee cometh, he may say unto thee, Friend, go up higher. Then shalt thou have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. That is, have honor in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. Notice the conclusion. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Here the Lord judges even as it were, the most simple and mundane details of life. Where you sit around a table in that culture had significance, but it was an ordinary type of event 
those who were the most honored guests would sit closest to the host. Those who were not quite so honorable would sit further away from the host. <clears throat> but that was, dear ones, one of those details in that culture which Jesus pinpoints even where they sit around a table. Now, I wonder. We've talked a little bit about our words but, and how we honor ourselves. But what about the details of our lives? How do we selfishly promote ourselves before others? Do we honor ourselves by a particular, and again, any of these things are not necessarily sinful, but they can be sinful if we are seeking to honor ourselves with them. We may give a photo to a friend. But we're especially flattered, ourselves flattered by this photo. And we hand that particular picture with that in mind to honor ourselves before others. Just a detail of life. But we need to consider why we do what we do. Are we seeking to honor ourselves? What about the clothing we wear? Are we, men and women alike, seeking to honor ourselves either by the fashion or by certain parts of the body that it exposes or draws attention to? Women, uh, perhaps again... Perhaps, again, uh, this might be a kind of situation that more relates to things that you particularly take honor in. Women very often really take a great deal of honor in their cooking. And so they hand a particular recipe on to somebody else, building it up you know, as their recipe as basically the best thing you've ever tasted. Or perhaps you're particularly gifted in crafts, ladies. Something of that nature. And you pass on or bring someone to see a craft with that intention and motive to honor yourself. As I said, any of these things do not necessarily have to be an example of honoring oneself. But it, they can be if we're not careful. Jesus, in the parable he gave, basically told those who were leaders in Israel. He said, start, in effect, start at the bottom and work your way up. Don't start at the top. They have to be put back to the bottom. I ask you, dear ones, are you willing to start at the bottom and work your way up to the top at work in the church? of Jesus Christ? Are you willing to wash, as it were, toilets, or as Christ did, to wash feet before you're exalted to places of responsibility, places of leadership, places of trust? Or are there some jobs that you consider to be entirely beneath you? 
Are you willing to invest the time and to make the sacrifices necessary that you, that your devotion to Christ and service to the people of God speak for you without you having to say a single word on your behalf? This is not intended to be an observation of anyone in particular, but rather a general observation. So many men, in my experience as a minister, so many men immediately crave high positions within the church without the work without the sacrifice without the experience without the preparation dear men it is an honorable thing to desire to be an officer in the church of Jesus Christ and every man should desire to be an officer in the church of Jesus Christ. That's not an unlawful desire. It is an honorable desire if it is to serve Christ and to be used to serve Christ's people. But dear ones, desire them not for your own glory and honor. Desire not to be placed in an office in the church for your own honor and glory, for your own advancement, but for the advancement of Christ's kingdom and for the welfare of your fellow Christians. His kingdom and the welfare of others must be our motive as men serving in the church of Jesus Christ. I encourage you men, do not get all wrapped up in how you can get those in leadership to notice you. Again, That's a common tendency amongst us all. How do we get the leadership to notice us? Believe me when I say this. Your life and your conversation will speak louder than any words that you can utter. How much better for the congregation to come to us as a session as leaders in the church and say, we believe God has called this man to the this church office rather than a man simply to come saying, I believe I have been called to this church office. I admonish you, dear ones, do not seek out glory and honor for yourself, but simply seek to be used of the Lord in whatever capacity he sees fit and at whatever time he appoints. Do not consider your time of preparation and whatever you are presently doing before your time of exaltation and promotion to be a waste of time. No matter what you're doing, even if you are washing toilets or washing feet, It's not wasted time. It is a time of preparation for greater things in Christ's kingdom. Because the greatest leaders are those who are the greatest servants. You see, during your time of waiting, during your time of preparation, you're in school. Christ is your teacher. And He is teaching you. 
lesson after lesson after lesson, the question is, are you learning? Are you so focused upon the promotion and the exaltation that you're not learning during the valley of humiliation and preparation? Fill your time not in hungering and thirsting for an office, but in being busy in your calling, growing in the grace and the knowledge of Christ, working on your weaknesses, serving Christ and others. And let me say to all of you who are in a time of humiliation now, by way of affliction, by way of severe trials, by way of waiting and waiting and waiting to be moved from one spot in your life to the next spot. Are you learning during this period of humiliation before your exaltation and promotion? Because before exaltation in every area of life, before exaltation comes preparation. Before exaltation, dear ones, comes humiliation. That is the way of the cross. Christ was humiliated before He was exalted. And we are His servants. And we must walk in His paths. And dear ones, when that's your attitude, that you're going to learn, and you're not going to be anxious, You're not going to worry or fret during your time of preparation for that glorious time of exaltation when you do reach that time of promotion in Christ's kingdom. You'll have so much to be thankful for. You'll look back over those times which Christ was teaching you, ever so tenderly caring for you in your moments of weakness, He was caring for you. He was loving you. And He was teaching you the hard lessons that can only come from those types of learning experiences. You can't learn from a book. But you must learn from the book of life lived out here every day upon the earth. Remember, dear ones, that promotion ultimately does not come from people anyway. Ultimately, promotion comes from the living God. In Psalm 75, verses 6 through 7, we are reminded by the psalmist, For promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. He putteth down and setteth up another. Promotion comes from the Lord. In this case, historically, David was saying, Saul sought to honor himself. God put him down. I was a lowly shepherd, tending my sheep, and God exalted me and made me the leader of all Israel. I was minding my own business, as it were, and God laid his hand upon me and exalted me. And this ultimately speaks, dear ones, of the greater David, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and also, I believe, as I said, of the Church of Jesus Christ. In each and every case, humiliation, then exaltation. Entrust your desires to be used of God in leading His people to the Lord. Pray fervently that the Lord will give you a servant's heart while you are waiting, while you're in this time of preparation, and go to work. Get busy. For your works, like the Proverbs one uh, woman in Proverbs 31, 31, your works will speak for you in the gates of the leadership of the church. Consider very, very quickly the biblical examples of those who were exalted by God as they trusted him and quietly performed the work that was given to them. Joseph performed the work that was given to him, though a slave it, Potiphar's house and was exalted to the head physician to be the head steward in charge of all things. He was lied about and cast into prison and started off at the bottom but was exalted to the highest position in the prison. Was forgotten for many years. Having been a slave, he was eventually exalted second place of authority in all of Egypt, the greatest kingdom at that time upon the earth. Think of Hannah, who was ridiculed and mocked by Peninnah. Elkanah had two wives. Peninnah had children. Hannah had no children. She was mocked, made fun of by her rival, who made her life extremely stressful who made her life miserable by continuing to bring before her the fact that she had no children. She didn't exalt herself and say, well, I'm better than you. She didn't go and seek to uh, honor herself before Peninnah. Her meek and quiet spirit brought the praise of her own husband. And he showed her extreme favor, even over Peninnah. But more than that, she took simply her need to the Lord and God highly exalted her and gave her a son and even more children, which son became one of the greatest judges in all of Israel's history, Samuel. We mentioned Mordecai earlier. Certainly God exalted Mordecai when Haman sought to exalt himself and to put Mordecai to death. God, by his providence and power, exalted Mordecai Mary, the mother of Christ, was just a lowly servant of the Lord. All that it says about Mary in Luke one twenty-seven was that she was a virgin espoused to Joseph. She didn't have any regal claim, as, as it were, as she was from the house of David. That is true. But she wasn't sitting in the palace. She was just a common, ordinary woman doing her job and was exalted to become the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And certainly, we can't complete or finish the sermon. And this is the last thing I would point out without saying something about Christ himself. In Luke 2.51, Jesus Christ, it says, after this this particular incident at the temple in Jerusalem 
where his parents left, uh, and he was talking to the to the teachers, to the learned men. They forgot about him, came back the next day to find him. It says that he went home and submitted to his parents. The Son of God submitted to sinful parents. Parents who had weaknesses. Jesus was in a time of preparation, of humiliation, during this period of time before his exaltation. Certainly, Philippians chapter 2 very clearly lays out Christ's humiliation. When it says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, dear ones, if there were no shortcuts to exaltation on the part of the Son of God, who do we think we are? Who do we think we are that we should look for any shortcuts to exaltation? we who are sinners and deserve the infinite wrath of God. I ask you, would a shortcut by Jesus Christ around those years of submission to his parents, around that time where he served as a lowly carpenter, around that time where he was an itinerant preacher going from place to place to place, during that time that he suffered shame from being forsaken by his disciples and suffering upon that cruel Roman cross, would we have wanted Christ to have taken a short cut to exaltation, skip over the humiliation? His humiliation, dear ones, is our salvation. We would not want him to skip over that time of preparation and humiliation. And so, dear ones, as I close, never, ever forget that Christ's humiliation and time of preparation was the path to His exaltation and your salvation. Glory in His humiliation. And if you glory in His humiliation, learn to glory in your own humiliation. For it is your path to exaltation. Exaltation will never come apart from walking that path of humiliation and preparation. As students and scholars in the school of Christ, let us do as our master and teacher did. Please stand with me in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we are sinners and our tendency is, O Lord, to escape and to run away from that which is difficult and painful and long and arduous. We do not like waiting 
We want to enjoy the glory and we want to enjoy the exaltation, the promotion immediately. But, O oh Father, Thou hast taught us in Thy Word this day that it does not come that way. That, in fact, it comes to the very things that we are suffering. The very things that we endure day to day. The very details of our life, moment by moment, are teaching us in the school of Christ. Help us, O oh Father, to learn the lessons which Thou art teaching us. That we be not slow to learn. That, O oh Father, we learn these lessons as quickly as possible that we might move on. That we might be promoted to the next grade in the school of Christ. That, Father, eventually that we might, when we see Thee, be graduated from that school into Thy very presence. O oh Lord, we do thank Thee for Thy Word. We thank Thee for Thy Spirit that burns these truths into our hearts and our lives so that they are unavoidable, so that we cannot miss them. Smite us, O oh God, for our good and cause us, O oh Lord, to walk in Thy ways and to learn, O oh Lord, so well the lessons which Thou art graciously giving to us day by day. We thank Thee, our Father, for our Savior, who is our salvation, and, and our salvation, O Lord, was wrought through His humiliation, which then brought about His exaltation. O Lord, our God, forgive us of our sin, of honoring ourselves. Cleanse us, O Lord, from all unrighteousness. Cause us to watch, O Lord, our words, and our deeds, let, Lord, our life and our conversation speak for us. Let us not think that we need to honor ourselves before others. We ask, Lord, these things in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. It is likely that the sermon or book that you just listened to is also available on cassette or video, or as a printed book or booklet. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, 
commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.